Although edited for television, tonight's thriller contains scenes of suspense and violence which may be unsuitable for young viewers. Parental discretion is advised. State of the art Japanese animation. Welcome back to the Otaku Host Club podcast. I, of course, I'm always Amelia, and I'm always joined here with Jeff and Dan. Hello. Hello. And Crystal is trying to wake up. Yeah. Jeff's in low energy mode today, but it's only because there's a thunderstorm outside. Yeah, the uh, perpetual winter of Minneapolis kind of zapping my mood as well. It was snowing yesterday. It's not right. It's inappropriate. It's offensive. It is offensive. I'm offended for you on behalf of you. Yeah. I'm thinking about how you're always Amelia, but maybe some days I'm Dan and some days I'm Daniel. Ooh, you know, Ooh. my name is not nicknameable. Um, so I only go by one persona. I'm always Amelia. Meal. <laughs> no, I hate it. <laughs> um, Christella is in the background today because we're we have a super super special episode that we have been planning for a while now. Super excited to talk about it. We're gonna get into the history of OVAs, or if you're in Japan, OAVs. What? Yep. Mm-hmm. Original okay. animation videos. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Isn't it? They're interchangeable, but you could say that OVA is adult video as well. Huh. Then you go into different territory. Well, yeah. some of them are pretty adult. Yeah. I love I love the adult stuff. <laughs> so yeah, we've, we have been talking about covering the history of OVAs for a pretty long period of time. Uh, we're finally bringing it to life now because we're intending for this to become our panel at Anime Weekend Atlanta this fall. Mm-hmm. Yep. So this is our, our first step towards that goal. And our episode is going to be relatively focused on this one topic. Uh, no no dilly-dallying about yeah. we're going to try to uh, stay on task, not talk about my, my new connection, oh. not talk about uh, my my history with FedEx. If you want all this stuff, you got to get on the Patreon and listen to our pre-show banter so you can learn yeah. the true secrets of the great rates program within fedex oh my gosh it's a it's a wild <laughs> program i spilled all the beans he did so if you want to hear that content patreon.com slash otaku host club and every tier gets you into any bonus and pre-show all the good stuff you get all of it mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and as much as i want to talk about suzume and oshinoko <laughs> <laughs> which I saw, I saw a headline. I saw a headline that that Oshinoko, which Amelia did yeah, recommend Oshinoko. to me over the phone. Uh, I saw that that Oshishishi <laughs> no no Toko was what? the largest, uh, the the biggest success that High Dive has ever had. It was like the largest, uh, uh, the the biggest volume of streams for for a seasonal debut on High Dive. Huh. Say that again. 
I know this should be an easy headline, but I'm I'm like clunking it up because I can't talk properly. Is the the most views of a seasonal debut ever on High Dive? And what show was it? Interesting. The, the one that you recommended, Oshinoki Toki Woki. Oh yeah, okay. I thought we were talking about the different two different. Anime. Yeah, I don't remember what, what it's it was like. called. Um, it's it the one that you didn't like. Spoilers, Dan. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like the Last of Us or like you know Game of Thrones levels. High dive. Damn. Is it really? That is not how Amelia described it to me. Um. Well, no, 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 no. no. In terms of in terms of ratings. Oh, in terms of, oh, rating. in terms in terms of, of ratings. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. Yes. I saw a headline just today about this. And Dan will be on the next Amelia's Anime Hour um, talking about this because I'm making him watch the first yeah. episode. <laughs> yeah, I'll watch it. First, I have to, yeah, I'm, I finished the new Trigun. We're talking about that bright and early tomorrow on the Anime Brothers podcast. Oh my God, spoiler. Yeah. I'm just kidding. So you can, we, yeah, we won't, we will, you don't even want to get me started on the new Trigun. Oh, if you want to hear don't. my thoughts on the new Trigun, we'll have to check us out on the Anime Brothers coming up soon. Yeah. <laughs> um, but we'll skip we'll bypass bypass all this bad stuff to get to the good stuff and OVAs the history of OVAs yes I'm so excited to talk about this because OVAs are such an interesting part of like anime culture they're so mm-hmm. weird they're so niche like well, it's, it's interesting, and part of the reason I really wanted to make this a, a topic of conversation in a, in a, a panel uh, topic is because when we think of anime in the West, uh, we don't draw the same delineation between OVAs versus TV streaming anime. Or at least traditionally, we haven't. Like, if you go back to, like, when, like when we were younger... Nobody was looking at Furikuri and being like, oh, look at this OVA that's being broadcast on American TV. You know, it's, yeah. it, you, you would lump Furikuri in the same, you know, general category as Neon Genesis Evangelion and Cowboy Bebop. Just for some reason, Furikuri is only six episodes. Why is it so short in comparison to everything else? Uh, we just don't see the differences in distribution and release all the way in the USA that you would get on the ground floor in Japan when all this stuff is coming out. And I think a lot of people more, uh, I think a lot of industry people and a lot of people that are more attuned to the history of anime might argue that these kind of differentiations don't really matter that much, that the lines are so blurry anyway, because OVAs, you know, there are plenty of OVAs that have made their way onto television. There's plenty of things that were intended for TV that became, OVAs, and then sometimes you get TV shows that get edited into movies and get a theatrical release, and OVAs that become movies, and and the lines are so blurred, and people just want to release however they can get it released, because every release brings in revenue, so you just do whatever you want to do, and if you care that much about this stuff, you're missing the point, and there's no need to have these hard borders around this stuff. I see that argument a lot, and I I don't disagree with it. I, I understand the line of logic. Uh, and I, I get it. I respect it. But I do think it's interesting 
nonetheless, to uh, consider how these different methods of, of distribution and release impact the art itself and the possibilities of this art, you know, the possibilities that we see within anime and how OVAs kind of became so synonymous to anime in the USA well, people never knew that they were actually OVAs, you know, like if I'm when I was 18 and renting Voice of a Distant Voices of a Distant Star or Appleseed from Blockbuster, I wasn't like, oh, look at these cool OVAs. I was like, oh, man, Voices of a Distant Star is a movie, but it's only like 40 minutes to fuck. I should have rented, I should have rented something. Yeah, I should have rented <laughs> something else. This, this ain't going to take up my whole evening. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, yeah, but our uh, yeah, our context grows over time. Um, so we'll start with, yeah, just, just discussing what is an OVA as, as I talk about it. So an OVA is uh, something that is made specifically for release in home video formats without prior showings on television or in theaters. So this would be things that go directly to VHS, directly to Laserdisc, directly to DVD, at this point directly to Blu-ray. Uh, and in the USA, we have kind of a bad um, things that go direct to video have kind of a bad reputation within the yeah. USA, right? We're used to thinking that if it goes to directly to video, that it must by default be some subpar product. It's not good enough for theatrical or TV distribution. Like that, nobody liked it enough to pick it up for TV. Exactly. Exactly. You know? We're used to thinking that anything going directly to video was just not good enough to you know solicit the investment in the promotional dollars to put it on a larger platform. If it was actually good, they just put it on TV. Mm-hmm. But that is not the way that Japan thinks about this stuff. In Japan, there was already a movement within uh, live-action movies called V-Cinema, and that was already setting the precedent for the artistic merit and the popular demand of straight-to-video releases. Um, so if we go back what in time... What exactly is V-Cinema? So, yeah, that's something that I need to do a little bit more research with oh, okay, um, okay. for turning this into a our panel presentation, okay. but the, our general sense of V cinema, like the, the ultimate uh, flagship of V cinema, which I'm, I'm sure both of you guys know is Takashi Miike. Uh, okay. And Takashi Miike is one of the great, truly great artours of, of film and cinematography in Japan. This guy has made bajillions of movies. I mean, it, you guys know Takashi Miike, right? Mm-hmm. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Um, he made one of my all-time favorite movies, Ichi the Killer. He made... Ooh, it's yeah. such a good one. And he made the movie that scared me, the number one scariest movie I've ever seen for me, the one that was the most frightening for me, Audition. And I get that, like, Audition and Ichi the Killer are, like, the ones everybody knows. But, dude, mm-hmm. and, and his adaptation of Blade of the Immortal, I saw that in theaters in Baltimore, and it kicked ass. It was fucking awesome. Um, but yeah, Takashi Miike is the the flagship of V Cinema, uh, even if he's a little bit later in the game, I think. But it's it is the sense of of making these more um, not exactly low budget, but these more like uh, not even like DIY per se, but outside the boundaries of the regular you know film industry and the mainstream normalized. Um, 
big film industry and making these smaller scale films that go directly to video have distribution through video rental stores through uh, different retailers and rather than making your money on um, theatrical runs and selling tickets you make your money off the physical product and selling all this stuff through stores Mm. Um, and v cinema was you know by the early 80s was starting to Uh, set the precedent that you could make great cinematography, you could make great television, great movies, but it didn't need to be on TV or in the theaters. You could just put it onto VHS and people are still going to buy it. And part of this is wrapped up in the real world circumstances of Japan at this time, that the Japanese economy uh, was really popping off. It had the, the financial bubble as people often describe it. Um, and theater attendance, I've read that theater attendance was at an all-time low at this time. There were less people going to movie theaters than ever before. Uh, so people were, I still, yeah, I still need to find a, uh, a real um, source on this, mm. like an official well, source. So I think a lot of it, uh, like OVA is attributed to VHS because Previously, like you wouldn't have been able to own physical copies Mm -hmm. and VHS allowed a certain amount of time that you could record on um, and it was like easy to access. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think as VCRs became widespread and people were able to own them in their homes, this is how like everything kind of got started. Yes, yes. This is the beginning of the OVA. You know, by 80, by 80, by more like the mid 80s, uh, the Japanese economy is popping off. There's increased demand for anime. There's increased demand for consumption in general. And the VCR becomes such a widespread fixture in Japanese homes. Uh, we see video rental shops exploding in quantity. Suddenly you can rent VHS everywhere. Everyone has a VH- VCR at home. They can go home, play their rented VHS tapes. And this just fed and fed the Japanese anime industry to keep growing to its, its to a new level, to what were at the time really behemoth proportions. You know, it demand- blows my mind to think that like people before this time could only watch things on TV or like listen to things on radio, that there was no like source of like media that would like let you like watch something in your own home at your own time. Yeah, because like I grew up with VHS, like mm-hmm. that was like all re- uh, and computer, like those two mm-hmm. things were a staple in my household. You had to get up off the couch, walk down the street, take a, <laughs> take a car, and go to the cinema. <laughs> yeah, um, Art, well, and that that stuff. paints a picture of just how dedicated a fan you have to be. Man, imagine mm-hmm. imagine if rather than being able to watch the new Trigun when it's convenient for me. I had to get my ass in front of the TV at like 8.30 p.m. every week, every Tuesday night to watch the new Trigun. So, yeah, you really have to. It's not convenient. It requires actual effort and planning on your part. So it, it yeah, it paints a different kind of picture. Not not just of like the dedication of anime fans, but like, yeah, fandom required real effort for a long time. Um, I have some fun VHS facts if you'd like to know them. Yeah, I want to know them. Um, So the first American VHS is The Sound of Music. 
Really? Yeah. So if you can... Interesting. If you know that movie, <laughs> very, 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 very old. <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> How old, Amelia? <laughs> I don't even know. So can like I can picture like watching that in my childhood and thinking like that we were so ahead of the times already. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> um, and Titanic was the only movie ever to be released on VHS. And also airing in theaters at the same time because Titanic was so popular. They extended the release of um, the theatrical release so far that it had come out on VHS. Right. Interesting. Yeah. So it and wasn't, the VHS was two yeah. VHS tapes. It was a two is, VHS set. Yeah. That used yeah, to be a thing. Mm-hmm. That's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, like, mm-hmm. we'll see, like, a lot of the OVAs that we talk about, like, might have, like, multiple um, tapes in their in their set. Like, it's, like, uh, two episodes on one VHS tape. Like, Kimigori Orange Road is a three-set VHS tape. Um, I think also 3 by 3 Eyes is three-set, mm-hmm. three VHS mm-hmm. um, to complete the series or whatever. Um but yeah, I thought that was that was a really cool uh, f- feature. Yeah, I've still that. never seen Titanic. What? Uh, it doesn't seem that interesting to me. It's such a good movie. Though. It's a love story on a boat. What's yeah, that I like? well, it's, yeah. It, isn't it a love story <laughs> of like this this woman that lived a f- very full life with a husband and family and kids that they've raised to adult age and had like a very traditional life. And on her deathbed, she's like, remember that one time I got railed for two days by Leonardo DiCaprio. <laughs> and I'm like, is that, is that really the highlight of your life? Well, I mean, when me you put bad. it like that, yeah, that sounds like terrible, but there's, I know. there's a nuance depressing. to it, Dan, there's a nuance to it. Well, I, I just hope that <laughs> when I find the person that I settled down, with that they really fill my heart they don't do that oh okay yeah I'm not, <laughs> they don't find somebody not, else <laughs> I, well that, yeah well I'm, I'm hoping they fill my heart and that i'm not on my deathbed reflecting on some floozy i got on with for two days <laughs> yeah but it's a near-death experience with your yeah. floozy jesus louise dan <laughs> Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the, isn't life a, history, a near-death experience? Oh my god! Yeah, basically. Um, a history of violence was the last major release on VHS. Really? Mm-hmm. They stopped making VHS after a history of violence. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Interesting. Interesting. Bizarre. And this is probably the most interesting. Because we all have grown up with Disney. Um, But a black diamond copy uh, of Beauty and the Beast uh, can sell up to $16,000. Oh, sure. I believe that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's my fun VHS facts. Yeah. Because there's like some lunatic billionaire that, uh, you know, like just just has like a buyer on staff that's like, (laughs) I want to collect Disney stuff. You know, (laughs) it doesn't even matter how much it costs. Yeah. Like, yeah, cultural cultural stuff like that, I feel like, always gets these dementedly high prices, but it's just like, yeah, rich rich people playing collector. Yeah. So, in Japan, the VHS was not selling for $16,000. Mm-hmm. 
<laughs> but it was selling significant amounts. You know, the demand for anime just continued to grow and grow and grow, become more massive in the mid eighties uh, to a point where consumers would willingly go directly to video stores to buy or rent new animation outright, rather than waiting for it to air on TV. Um, so as a result, during Japan's economic bubble in the 1980s, these production anime production companies were more than willing to spontaneously decide to make a one or two part OVA. They would uh, pay money to anime studios who would then haphazardly create an OVA to be released directly to rental shops. And these rental shops would uh, pay really close attention to what's renting, what's not, what's flourishing, what's succeeding, what's flopping. Uh, and then judging from these rentals and the sales to these rental stores, um, if there was enough demand, uh, then the series would uh, grow beyond, you know, they would make more episodes of the OVA, they would make sequel OVAs, maybe a TV network uh, would pick it up and pay for the production costs of most of the series. Uh, so the OVA started to find its way into the into the the anime industry uh, mm -hmm. through this way so if you you know if you're in mid-80s japan most of the big name directors are already working on television and movies so the ovas give a lot of opportunity for new talent to rise up and um, have something to work on so we start to see new names like studio gynax new names like mamoru uh, oshi um, all these different major players uh, got their start within the OVA circuit mm -hmm. uh, because the barrier to entry was so much lower. And then and their success with OVAs propelled them into much larger, more prestigious projects. Yeah. So OVAs to me sound like um, there was a lot of wiggle room with like how they were made and how people were brought on. Like, it kind of seems like you were in like a little like group and a little bubble. Like if this guy know who you were, then, and he's busy, he'll, he'll have you come on for an OVA episode, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know, very yes. community driven. And, you know? and this is very true. And especially by the time we get to more like the glory years of the OVA, uh, a lot of these companies are, behaving relatively haphazardly in comparison to their television anime counterparts. Um, as you say, there's just more room for flexibility, right? Mm -hmm. uh, you don't need to, there's less, less of an issue with deadline with episodes uh, that need to be done every week for television or a movie that's, you know, due for this theatrical run starting on this date with OVAs. There's a much, much uh, less orientation towards these deadlines. You can drop episodes by the month, by the quarter, by the year. If things are delayed, it's not that big a deal. You know, you can take your time to get things right. But also uh, the other side of that is you can take your time just dilly dallying and fucking around, you know, so it's, yeah, the pressure's it also off sounds a little like bit. Yeah, it also sounds like um, there's a lot of room for creativity to to show in these uh, types of series. Because like, yes, when there's no if there's no TV broadcast like um, like stipulation, then you can kind of have a little bit of creative freedom to like you know work on an like a, an animation project that you want to instead of one that you like you have to for TV. You know. Yes. Yes. Mm -hmm. 
Um, we yeah, we really start to see that flourish in the glory years of the OVA from like the late '80s into the mid '90s. Um, but I, I want to focus in still a little bit more on the beginnings of the OVA and where this all started. It all started with uh, it all started in 1983 with the first OVA uh, released straight to VHS, Dallas, which was directed okay. by our guy Mamoru Oshii who you would know from the Ghost in the Shell movie, from the Urusei Atsura movie, from Angel's Egg, which is the one of the true uh, weird art, you know, high art type of OVA releases. But he got his start with Dallas. Um, Have you guys seen it? Yeah, I've watched. I've watched it um, once, once through. Mm. And I was bored to death. <laughs> I was about <laughs> to say, uh, not for me. Yes. But- Power it was to you. Released yeah. by Bandai, four episodes, 30 minutes each. It's a science fiction story uh, dealing with moon, the moon colony rebelling against a tyrannical Earth government that depends on moon resources. Uh, it's a relatively, like, yes, that that is a generic science fiction story of the time. And, I'm going to tell you yeah. right now, too, <laughs> there's a lot of generic science fiction uh, stories in OVA. Pretty much like everything is sci-fi. Because that's that's you know kind of what was popular at the time, mm-hmm. but not popular enough to make it onto television. Like yeah. Mm-hmm. Cause you know, let's let's you know, when we look at the early OVAs, Dallas, Megazone 23, that was mm-hmm. you know, nineteen eighty five. That's like one of the biggest bigs. Yeah, that was the yeah one of the first big OVAs. This was a mecha story about a delinquent motorcyclist whose possession of government prototype bike leads him to discover the truth about the city. And this was originally intended as a twelve episode TV show, but the sponsors pulled out support. Uh, so without the uh, financial backing of the sponsors, they just took mm-hmm. the television show, just put it straight onto VHS, and sold it like that. Um, and these, yeah, compare that to what was on TV at the time. Something like Urusei Yatsura, 200 episodes long. It's a sketch <laughs> comedy show without a plot. It's entirely episodic. You know, compare that to Captain Tsubasa. That would have been huge at the time on mm-hmm. TV. It's long-winded. It's realistic. It's character-oriented with an easy-to-follow plot. You know, so we can see the gap between the kind of harder hitting science fiction stories that were the first forays into direct video animation in comparison to the more like uh, lighthearted and easily approachable things that were happening on television at that time. Not for kids. <laughs> this ain't your, <laughs> this ain't your parents animation. Wasn't it the manga, the manga. manga anime? Yeah. 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 And even on the boxes of the rental stores, they would have like a child's face with an X through it. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. That's Hell hilarious. Yeah. Hell yeah. So two other, two other early OVAs I want to highlight. And I, I think these are both more within your guys wheelhouse. One is the creamy mommy OVA. And I, I think the Creamy Mommy OVA would have been the first summary compilation with new footage at the end, which became and, and continues to be a relatively common anime product to recut things into a movie or an OVA with a little mm-hmm. bit of extra stuff added at the end. But mm-hmm. yeah, and Jeff, you're a fan of this show, right? 
Mm. I mean, I've I've only watched it for you know knowledge purposes, I guess, if you will. Creamy mommy. Oh, but I, if it's the one you're talking about, is there's one where she fights. Um, it's another idol show. It's not Fancy Lala. It's um, Creamy Mommy versus um, Magical Emmy. Uh, is that? Yeah, it? that sounds right. Or mm-hmm. something like that. Something I think the like girl's that. name is Emmy. Hmm. Yeah, and they they do like this. They're like huge, uh, you know, um, Godzilla size fighting through a city. It's pretty cool. Yeah, I, but it's like one of those shows where, to your point, it's so long. I I don't. I couldn't see myself sitting through all of Creamy Mommy. Word. Yeah. Word. So the OVAs is a lot more accessible in that way. I think like Sailor Moon has this kind of um, like thing as well with me personally. Like there's so many episodes. You kind of just watch a couple episodes just to get the vibe of the show. Sure. Because like Creamy Mommy is very much about like getting the vibe of her. Maybe not watching every single episode in succession. Word. Word. Well, the other, the other, oh, sorry, Jeff, go ahead. Well, no, I think, I think Megazone is more in my wheelhouse than Creamy Mommy. Magical Girl stuff is, yeah, it's not. You've brought up (laughs) Creamy Mommy in the past. I've never (laughs) heard of it except for you saying these words. Yeah, and I just like I like saying "creamy mommy" too. It's such a it there. it's such a cute like her the actual like aesthetic of the show is so cute. Yeah, and it's like similar in the sense of like Urusei Yatsura, where Lum is so cute. You know, you watch the show for like one specific thing, maybe not because you love every single part of it. You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, it's got you know those soft uh, like pastel colors, mm-hmm. sort of washed out in the background. Yeah, I yeah. love that for sure. Yeah. Well, the other the other early OVAs I wanted to highlight were the Dirty Pair OVAs. And I know that's that's a big Steven thing. Yeah. Um, but those OVAs are interesting because they actually go the reverse direction. The TV show Dirty Pair was so popular that they made OVAs afterwards to kind of keep things going because there was still demand after the TV show was done. Uh, but I guess not enough demand to just make another television show. So they, yeah, made like two or three different, you know, six episode OVA series uh, to just keep the ball rolling. Um, but I, yeah, I think that's that's another example of how the the lines blur in terms of, um, you know, what is what is the OVA versus the TV show and how these franchises like. Um, you know, grow in different directions and, you know, just, just if a, yeah, if a TV show is popular enough, maybe it'll spawn an OVA too, but, or if an OVA is popular enough, maybe it'll spawn a TV show as well. And it's not necessarily that one format is so much uh, fancier or more important than another, better than another. Yeah. Um, It kind of seems like at this point in time, because there is this like 
want for more anime, but like not necessarily like we don't have any kind of like focus groups that's telling us like, oh, well, this show's going to be super popular. Or this show's going to be super popular. So they kind of like throw out a couple different kind of eggs and kind of like see what sticks with with the fans. Yes. Yes. So you're going to get like a little bit of a flip flop, like maybe the show is super popular. So we know we can market it. We know it's kind of like a sure thing that the OVAs are going to sell. But then you also have like I was talking about before, you also have like this creative freedom within like the format of OVA. So you do have things that are like, oh, well, this seems like a cool idea. Let's like put out an OVA and see if it sticks. Yes. And it was that that testing of the water, I think, is a really important angle of OVAs at this time. And that becomes a much uh, bigger angle within the glory years of the OVA. If we want to move on to this period of time, which I would say is like I want to add I want to add one more thing yeah. with um, with with Cream Lemon, um, which is a hentai series, like spirit basically one of the first lowly con or lowly style mm-hmm. hentai shows. Mm-hmm. So like to your point, it's like no one, you couldn't put this on TV uh, and they tested the market out. Right. It's like if it's porn, pornograph porn sells, mm-hmm. yeah. it always has and always will. Mm-hmm. So like there's that intersection of hentai and then later down the road, we'll get intersection of hentai and like action horror and, mm-hmm. you know, You'll see more of that later on. It's like let's uh, let's put a little bit more episodes out of this like cre- this like magical girl show. She's super cute. Like kids will like her. Parents will buy it for him. Then also like oh this is like kind of popular. Maybe we'll like do a spinoff. But also like let's let's poke at the at the pervs here a little bit. Let's see what they like. Let's see what yeah. their budget is. What kind of like how many OVAs are they willing to buy each month? Yeah. Hmm. But because uh, you don't have the TV broadcasting like companies being like, oh, you can't put that on TV, so you have to censor it. They're like, oh, we don't have to censor it. So like, let's just do it, you know? Yes, exactly. And I, I think it's that freedom from the confines of uh, television and theater that really let the, let the OVA shine the brightest for all mm-hmm. of its, its genius and weirdness. Uh, when we get so the nineties, then is that uh, the glory yeah? Years? Well, the glory years I would say are like the late eighties to the mid nineties, and at that I want to say that because those are when all of my favorite OVAs came out. <laughs> yeah, 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 definitely. Well, that's that's when OVAs were coming out at a really rapid pace, and these mm-hmm. OVAs, as as we've uh, discussed, they allow for greater artistic freedom. A lot of times, relative to their television counterparts, they have better animation more use of music. They have way greater flexibility of content. Uh, they have less orientation towards deadlines, as we discussed. So that allows more time to actually get everything done in a reasonable way. Uh, there's no, like, um, I don't know, choose any number of random episodes of Naruto filler that just look like garbage, <laughs> you know, and no, like, one piece, uh, everything's stalled, and you might as well just hit pause for an episode. Um yeah, it's, it lets things grow, I guess, in the way that the that the creators intend. Um, and certainly without the um, needs for, uh, without having sponsors, there's no need for product placement. There's no need for toy-ready designs. Uh, you freed yourself from these different 
uh, I don't know, capitalist influences that would be holding you back uh, as you create your anime. Mm -hmm. Uh, So that allows for some really wild things to be happening in the glory years of OVA. But it also allows for, uh, yeah, a really chaotic business environment (laughs) uh, because there are so many OVAs that flop left, right, and center. There's so many that get canceled. There's so many that lose their sponsors. There's so many fly-by-night production companies where, you know, like everyone's investing money in anime because this is really popping off. Mm -hmm. And it's real easy to uh, um, make this anime, just put it onto VHS tape, put it onto Laserdisc, get it into video rental stores. And yeah, there's just a lot going on. Um, but yeah, a lot of these businesses didn't, yeah, they lacked discipline. They were at times given budgets larger than their television anime counterparts. Um, and that produce some good results at times, but also, yeah, there's a lot of tempo where something will, an OVA will be planned for, you know, six episodes planned for eight episodes. They'll release the first episode and due to the, uh, to the workflow that anime is, is normally working through, uh, by the time the first episode's dropping, you're pretty much done with the second episode too, or at least you've sunk a lot into it and you are kind of always working ahead of the release schedules. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the first episode will come out, it flops, and then the people in charge will be like, well, you know, we've already made a lot of progress on the second episode. Let's just finish that off, get it released, make as much money off that as we're going to be able to, and then we'll, we'll just cancel episodes three and on. Uh, so there's many, many two-episode OVAs out there that followed this exact trajectory. Um, but I was... I was yeah, where they don't really fit in. Like you're, you're like you're like watching the OVA, and it's the story is coming in like, you know, twenty volumes into a manga series. You have no idea what's going on. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. But the I, well, I was interested because Battle Angel Alita is often cited as one of these two episode OVAs that just got canceled uh, due to being a commercial flop. Mm. But I, I read an interview with the manga author where he said that they only ever intended to make two episodes. That it wasn't that it was canceled. It was that oh, it was that they just weren't going to make any more in the first place. They only ever intended to make two episodes because the manga author said he, he doesn't actually care about anime adaptations and he's not interested in seeing this as an anime and like, I'm, I'm too busy to work on this. We can make two episodes, but I I can't commit any more time beyond that. Um, so uh, yeah, uh, I thought that was interesting because battle angel elite is often considered one of the, uh, um, I don't know, one of the most famous two episode flops. But I guess it wasn't yeah, really. Yeah, it didn't a really flop. flop because um we that we got a movie so, <laughs> and the movie yeah. was really good. <laughs> well, yeah, I was I was thinking I was well I was thinking about this because that was my you know I, I have kind of some uh, some OVAs of note from the glory years listed off and I was thinking all right like what what's something that that flopped that really uh, shows this this downward spiral trajectory. And Battle Angel Alita immediately came to mind. But then as I researched it more, I was like, oh, maybe it wasn't actually a flop. And then I was like, you know, I, I can't think of what another, like, good example of a flop is because I don't watch the shitty OVAs that only got two episodes. I've never seen any of them. Hmm. Hmm. 
but some I, of my some of my lowest ranked OVAs on Mal are, are like those those two episode flops. Oh yeah. At least, at least that I, I would assume they're flops because they're so bad. <laughs> <laughs> like, like the Tekken motion picture, well, which is sure. like, I think two or three episodes long. Um, what's another one? Burn up. Uh, I think it's a little bit longer episode count. Well, um, the one that I settled on was something called Mighty Space Miners, nineteen ninety four. First episode flopped, so they finished the second episode and canceled everything else. So in this case, episodes three through six never actually happened. Oh, my God. I mean, the title sounds boring already. (laughs) Yeah, I've I've never even heard of it beyond beyond this context. Um, But I was thinking, yeah, for our our panel presentation, maybe we can dig a clip out of it. Talk about how boring it is. On the other side of the coin, a... OVA that succeeded was the Pat Labor OVA that showed from 1988 to 1999. This was a big success. It immediately got turned into a TV show and a movie series. Um, That's right. Because it was good as fuck. Yeah. And we, we have an episode on Pat Labor OVA mm-hmm. on this, of this mm-hmm. podcast. I mean, we have a podcast episode yes. about if, if a listener were so inclined to hear more about this very successful OVA series. We love the OVAs over here. Yeah. Well, another another OVA that we loved, that me and Jeff love at least, is... Video Girl Eye. I was going to say Gundam War in the Pocket. <laughs> oh, okay. We can say that. Yeah. Gundam War in the Pocket in 1989. And I, I thought this was a good example of how of a big franchise that starts to adapt the o, to the OVA format. You know, Gundam at that time would have already been huge. You know, we've already huge. had the original, you know, Zeta Gundam uh, is selling, yeah, is huge. It's selling tons of toys. Uh, there's a lot happening in the Gundam universe. Um, and they are, yeah, they expand the franchise beyond just television and movies. They start to make direct-to-video OVAs with Stardust Memory. War in, I guess War in the Pocket was the first one, but then you have Stardust Memory and... Uh, uh, what was the the uh, the eighth eighth MS team? M- eighth MS team, yeah, which are all yeah, fucking yeah. great. They're all fucking awesome. Um, but yeah, yeah, I think that I think the large some of my earliest earliest tapes I've had or owned were from the Gundam franchise. Yeah, to your, to that point. Yeah, and I think that that speaks to the commercial and artistic viability of OVAs that a large franchise like Gundam. We'll start pumping them out within the glory years. Um, so I know we've talked a lot about about like OVAs that like flopped, but a lot of times there were like the OVAs had way better animation than what was showing on TV because of their like greater use of like flexibility of content and stuff. Yeah. Well, so. yeah. If you if you compare something like the Pat Labor OVA or Gundam War in the Pocket to things that are happening on TV at that time, like compare War in the Pocket to Gundam Wing, you know, like it's totally totally different. Everything about it is different. Gundam Wing feels like you know this haphazard story that is basically just product placement to sell the giant robot toys. Uh, and every everything about it just kind of sucks in comparison to the the mm-hmm. tightly wound narrative of War in the Pocket or Stardust Memories, you know, where uh, everything is 
yeah, really action-packed. It's got great soundtrack, great animation, great writing. Um, you can really see the gap to the attention to detail and the creativity uh, in the OVAs in comparison to, you know, let's just get get product onto the television screen so we can sell toys that Gundam was doing with their television aired shows. And you can you can yeah. see that gap too with Pat Labor. You know, compare the Pat Labor OVA, which is uh, relatively you know heady, you know, intellectual in a way. It's pretty mm-hmm. smart. It's pretty deep. It is relatively serious. And compare that to the Pat Labor TV show that was immediately spawned afterwards, which is a much more lighthearted kind of comedy, you know, fun and games type story. Uh, and I think that speaks to what people at that time, you know, what was going to be commercially successful at that time uh, in comparison to, I don't know, what would be a better better artistic statement, what the creators really wanted to do and express with themselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was going to bring up Macross as another example mm-hmm. of a... Uh, couple of OVAs that came out this Macross Plus and Macross 2. Uh, Macross 2 was not that good, but the animation was really good. Um, Macross Plus is still like, I think one of the best OVA action sci-fi, you know, adaptations Mm -hmm. to date. And I think they just released, um, they're going to re-release the Blu-ray of that soon enough. Mm -hmm. Um, And they had it in theaters so it's like it has that much, you know, staying power, mm-hmm. even to the even to today, you know. So an, another OVA I wanted to bring up that I think highlights the power of the OVA as a format was Key the Metal Idol, aired from 1994 to 1997. And what was so interesting about it was its variable runtime. So some episodes were 20 minutes, some episodes were 90 minutes. So it really having the OVA format allowed key, the metal idol to be a more expressive kind of show and really choose how each episode was going to be, you know, it didn't have to um, base itself on, uh, Oh, it has to be 25 minutes with a commercial break in the middle. Um, and with these dedicated OP and ED sets. Um, so it can run on television you know, the OVA allowed Key the Metal Idol to just, just be itself, you know, that like, yeah, sometimes we can tell this part of the story, you know, that needs to happen at this juncture in 20 minutes, but sometimes we need 90 minutes to tell everything that needs to be told right now. And um, I love that. <laughs> yeah, I liked it too. I'm a, I, I like I like this show. Um, but yeah, I mean, compare that to, I mean, when Key the Metal Idol was, was coming out on, on, uh, VHS and, and Laserdisc, uh, what would have been airing on TV at that time is Slam Dunk. You know, it was Dragon Ball Z. You know, mm-hmm. you compare something like He the Metal Idol, which is really intentional with its pacing, to something like Dragon Ball Z, where it's got huge stretches of filler. You know, Slam Dunk, where it's got, you know, doesn't exactly have huge stretches of filler, but it treads water for a good chunk of its time. And it, you know, has a different ending than the original source manga. It is an anime show that's full of compromises in its own way. Dragon Ball Z, too. Um, 
So OVA allows these these stories to come, you know, without any compromise and to just be as they're supposed to be. You know, Angel Cop is another good example of this. Angel Cop running 1989 to 1994. It, that was my personal choice of an OVA that's showing things that you couldn't show on TV at that time because that shit's brutal. Yeah. We, <laughs> yeah, we got to get into the like brutality of OVAs because I feel like uh, much of the like OVAs of the 90s were like shock horror or like being... Uh, like risque just for risque's sake you know yeah yeah mm-hmm. yeah things you couldn't show on tv and it, it was the proliferation of ovas in the west that i think gave anime its stereotypes that we have here in the usa that anime by default is just like oh it's full of ultra violence and it's hypersexual mm-hmm. and it's like just just gore and nudity and shit and like that's the true meaning of anime but it's, it's just because I think people only feel that way in the USA because so many of these 90s OVAs were what were initially distributed within the USA when anime was mm-hmm. first coming over here. Um, There's a huge deluge of it for reasons that we'll get into a little bit later. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, yeah, it's interesting. I also wanted to talk about Ranma Half mm-hmm. because Ranma Half was a super long running TV show, but I feel like OVAs allowed uh, people who maybe didn't start out watching it and were like four seasons into the TV show, not wanting to watch an entire four seasons of Ranma Half to get the gist of it. Uh, but the OVAs allowed you to experience Ranma Half without all of the work to uh-huh. put in for uh-huh. watching it on tv so there's uh-huh. also like that part of ovas where like um kind of like dumbs down the not dumbs down but it kind of like uh like squishes it into a, a nice good helping instead of like too mm. much thanksgiving dinner yeah yeah well, it dil- dilutes it and, yeah and it's that's sort of all the fluff yeah, because we see, yeah, OVAs are, are kind of a, a multi-purpose tool, right? You know, we in the throughout its history as a format, we see these uh, these these different versions of the OVA where we have like yeah the Ranma one half where it can re-edits and consolidates these stories into a more uh, digestible form, um, but at the same time we have stuff like Gunbuster that has an opening and an ending sequence and has an eye catch that would be the cut to commercial breaks, even though it was direct to video, didn't need these things, but they were, you know, Gunbuster, like so many other OVAs was created with the angle that, Oh, if this gets really popular, we could turn it into a TV show. So if Mm -hmm. it already has, you know, the opening, the ending, the eye catch for commercial break, there's a really easy transition to get it into a, TV slot it makes it much more uh, palatable to TV networks and to the people that will need to invest in making this into a TV show. You know, we've already done that, some of the work for that. Is that kind of like Tenchi Muyo? Tenchi Muyo is a good example of this. And I, yeah. I've never actually seen it like in full in its entirety. I've just seen, I think we honestly have the like VHS OVAs mm-hmm. uh, floating around. So I think I've seen stuff from it that way. But Ten- Tenchi Muyo, I know, started as an OVA series and then yes. was so popular that it got a TV series. Yes. 
That was, uh, yeah, Tenchi Muyo is in my list of five in- influential OVAs. Yeah. Well, oh, okay. we can dig into it a little bit later. Uh, <laughs> okay, what I okay. what I really want to talk about right now is to to give people the full perspective of the glory years of OVAs and and how much money was floating around. I wanted to talk about how fucking expensive these things were. Is this mm. shocking? How expensive OVAs are to uh, purchase or to make to purchase? But and okay. the these purchasing, you know, their prices are are probably. Um, yeah, like related to the expense because, I, as I mentioned, some of these OVAs had larger budgets than TV anime. You know, like Furikuri, for example, uh, is is was kind of my first exposure to to this um, I guess scale of OVA because Furikuri had the production budget of a normal twenty six episode anime show. And when it was released in Japan, it was released in true blue OVA styles, one episode per DVD. Each DVD was like 80 or $90 equivalently. So it's, yeah. it's a meaningful, uh, you know, if you're a fan of this stuff and you want to buy this stuff rather than rent it, it, it really, uh, it, it requires some real dedication. You know? So when I was like trying to research stuff about OVAs, um, I came across this account of a, someone who would fan sub anime. Mm-hmm. Um, they went to Anime Expo 95, which I think is one or the, the within the first like five years of, of Anime Expo being a thing. Um, and the person overheard a conversation and then started talking to these people. Um, one of the people in the conversation was Kinji Yoshimoto, who is an animation director and writer. Um, he was a key animator for Megazone 23. Mm, mm-hmm, <laughs> um, mm-hmm. He directed Genshiken Part 2, Queen's Blade, Ari Fuweta, and Seven Deadly Sins. Mm. Um, and the other person he was talking to was Satoshi Urushibu, Urishibara, who is a manga artist known for being the master of breasts. <laughs> um, he is uh-huh. a vehicle animator on Riding Bean and a production supervisor for Bubblegum Crisis, Crying Freeman, and Record of Lotus War. They were, ta- they were there, um, like, I get maybe promoting, um, like, Plastic Little, which was an OVA that came out around that mm, time. Mm-hmm. Um, and they were talking about like the state of OVAs in Japan and how there are only 40,000 people who con- consistently buy OVAs because the uh, OVA was 5,000 yen. Yeah. And at the time is really expensive. Yeah. So only eight OVAs can survive in that market. If you think about like, if a person is going to purchase these, and that's the only way that you can view OVAs is if you go out and buy it. Um, Only eight OVAs can exist at a time because there's not enough market for people to go out and spend that much money on every single OVA that's coming out. Right. Right. And so that market's so small. So um, they were having a hard time getting people to and like to to buy OVAs to get excited about OVAs and they were really um, actually concerned about the state of um, otaku culture in Japan uh-huh. because otaku culture at the time was heavily um, like regarded as something that was really bad because of the Miyazaki murders and the AUM doomsday cult 
uh-huh. Um, uh-huh. it put such a negative connotation of uh, otaku into the Japanese public's mind that people didn't want to buy OVAs. They didn't want to have people know that they even liked anime. Um, so they wanted to come to the States and to uh, like tell people about OVAs and kind of promote OVAs and try and get a different market outside of Japan because the market was like so dire. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. It's probably latest. Uh-huh. What? No, just thinking about going into rentals. I don't know if that's part of your plan, Dan, but yeah, because of the because of the market, so it's the expense of the, the VHS tapes. You know, rental stores were popping up left and right. Mm-hmm. Yep. Fill that yep. demand. So yeah, buying rental stores, buying wholesale would be a huge part of the revenue stream for these companies making OVAs. And these rental companies were pretty uh, uh, strict, you know. I mean, they're, they are not just buying any old bullshit. If they buy a couple copies of something and people aren't renting it, then, you know, that, that that's it. It's done. They're not buying the next VHS of it, you know. They're not going to stock it. Uh, so, it's yeah, kind of a cutthroat market in that way. And, yeah, when we think of there's only 40,000 people in Japan willing to shell out the money for this stuff, yeah, as you mentioned, Amelia, most OVAs were retail priced 5,000 to 9,500 yen for a single episode VHS. You could be paying. And back then. Yeah, that's, that's pre, uh, you know, pre-inflation. You know, that's back when 725 was still a reasonable minimum wage, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, the... Um, yeah, imagine having to pay, you know, 80, 80 US dollars for a single I mean, episode on an on for a VHS. A single episode is crazy. Or you could get a three episode laser disc for 5800 to 100,000 yen. You could pay 100 bucks for a three episode laser disc. Really puts Legends of the Galactic Hero on laser disc into, you know, perspective, perspective. here. Yeah. It's not that far off from what we pay or what you'd pay in Japan for like the Blu-ray now. I know that's fucked up. That's fucked up. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I was even going to say like when we were kids, like getting a VHS of a Disney movie was probably like $50 too. I remember I wasn't allowed to have them, you know, like you would have to rent them, um, see them at a babysitter's house because they were too expensive to own. Yeah. Well, how about this? When Vampire Hunter D came out on VHS in December 1985, you know how much it cost in retail? Oh. Equivalent of 130 US dollars. Jay. I honestly don't, I wouldn't yeah. pay for that now. $130 like, if, to if go, I'm thinking go about, buy Vampire Hunter D right off the shelf. If I'm thinking mm. about content and how much i could spend on something else like food i would not spend that now (laughs) i don't spend that much money on dvds (laughs) yeah well there's there's uh uh, it sounds like the majority of japan agrees with you yeah (laughs) give it give it and they're way more media heavy like country like they love like physical media yeah Mm mm-hmm yeah, well, apparently there were only 40,000 people in Japan 
willing to pay $130 for Vampire Hunter D on VHS. Yeah, it's because they got crazy radicals running around. They got some dedicated, yeah. Otaku a bag name. Yeah, that's, that's, you know, think about the, the, yeah, the dedication of the anime fan, you know, like it, uh, uh, you really got to care a lot and invest a lot into this shit to be a fan at that time. Mm -hmm. The bar of, you know, the the barriers to entry now are so much lower, which Mm -hmm. is a good thing, in my opinion. I think that's as it should be. Uh, Nor do I think that fandom is like some great thing we should all aspire to. Like, oh, everyone should pay $130 for Vampire Hunter D on VHS. I don't think so. If you like this franchise, then you have to own the physical media or you're not a fan. Yeah, I don't believe that either. But I I, I do, uh, yeah, I do think it's interesting that like, you know, there was a time where to be into something really required a level of dedication and a level of perseverance that is just not there anymore. Like it's just is mm-hmm. inconsequential and immaterial. It's irrelevant at this point. Even like the stigma of being an otaku is well, completely yeah, that too. Now. That too. You know? Yeah. It's like if you think you have to go walk into a store and tell somebody you want to purchase that item, you know? Can you imagine like back in whenever it came out? Asking for Demon City Shinjuku or like Wicked City or mm-hmm. something like that. Like asking for these things that have like X-rated content in them. And you're doing that in person. Now we can just go on, on uh, you know, whatever fucking anime hentai sh- like website and watch it in the privacy of our own, own homes. You know, just get a VPN. Nobody knows. Yeah. But having mm-hmm. to buy it physically and do it like doing the whole purchasing in person. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's a lot of stuff you have to like persevere to be a fan. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, along along those lines, let's let's. I want to move into five influential OVA from these glory years, and that I want to move back into uh, when we think about purchasing things. Think about the the distribution of anime in the USA at that time, and when I think of. Anime that was omnipresent in America when we were younger, one that immediately comes to mind for me is Appleseed. Appleseed was at every blockbuster, every Hollywood video, every Suncoast. You know, it was just always, always available. But why? Because Appleseed is not some like big property, you know, it's not, it's not a big sci-fi classic. Uh, it's good. I enjoy it, but uh, is not like some essential viewing, but the the issue, or rather, how Appleseed came to be so omnipresent alongside so many other OVAs, um, is because the OVA was the ideal format for Western publishers. Because VHS tapes could only comfortably hold about two hours of video, so a large TV series, uh, you know, like something like Slam Dunk, which would have been so huge. Or in Legend Japan, of the Galactic Hero. <laughs> Or Slam Dunk, which would have been so huge <laughs> in Japan at the time. You know, it just it was very unwieldy for customers and retailers in the U.S. You, you would have to be wheeling and dealing in like 30 plus VHS tapes to get Slam Dunk over to the USA in this context. But an OVA, you could put it on just one or two self-contained tapes. So video stores could easily carry it and fans would see it as a lesser... Um, 
or a smaller investment in comparison to a long-winded television show. And all the rental chains would stock it because they could just you know rent this one VHS tape and people would get the entire story in one go. So it didn't it didn't really matter so much at the time that so many of them didn't have endings. You know, anime is already notorious for having cliffhanger endings anyway. Um, so you have all these different companies like AD Vision, Animigo, Central Park Media, Manga Entertainment, US Renditions, and they're really specializing in OVA series that they can easily put onto one VHS tape and just sell them like hotcakes in the U.S. and satiate U.S. demand. Um, so that is why something like Appleseed or Demon City Shinjuku or, um, I don't know, what's another OVA at that time that, was so, that would be so omnipresent here? Um, One of the first OVAs I watched was Riding Bean. Oh, Going back to Riding Bean. We yeah. Talked, yeah, Riding Bean. And that... I remember I rented it over um, on vacation with my um, my mom's friend, mm-hmm. and uh, her son was with me, and he was in the Pokemon. I was in the Pokemon, and we you know we were gonna rent a video, and I was like, let's rent this thing. Ooh. I want to rent. This looks naughty. <laughs> Riding Bean. So we brought it back, and uh, yeah, he went. He wanted no part of it. And when we saw there was like a within the first minute or so, there was like a nipple scene. Oh, and he was like, that's that I, home I video too. Yeah, I was like, he's gonna tell on me. He's he like walked yeah. off. Oh yeah, and was like mm-hmm. really upset about it. He was oh. upset about it. What's yeah, upset I mean, we were for? like, he's probably younger. Know, he chill the right? fuck out. We were like eleven or t- yeah, we were like eleven or twelve. So uh, maybe he felt he like to, we were doing something yeah, he wrong. Needs to chill the fuck out, man. Yeah, <laughs> I was like, yeah, this is cool. Yeah. yeah, like my parents are out. My parents are out, and I could do whatever I yeah. want. Watch one nipple. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know if I'm a really good gauge of this kind of OVA series because Steven always has all of the ultra violent, crazy horror kind sure, of OVAs. Sure. But I'm pretty sure like Ninja Scroll was really popular. Yeah, of course. Wasn't yeah. It? Ninja Scroll yeah. was one of these omnipresent ones. And uh, Fist of the North Star wasn't it wasn't an OVA that was a TV series okay, but, but okay. the take it back but but the compilation movie that may have been an OVA uh, I'd have to double check that was certainly omnipresent because I saw that mm-hmm. legend or that um, <laughs> I know I saw the tip of my tongue at all times <laughs> I saw that Fist of the North Star movie thing when I was in like late high school or early college that, that and you guys know certainly know what I'm talking about. Where it's like the yeah the recut yeah. of the TV show into like a 90 minute movie, and it like mm. kind of makes sense, but it kind of doesn't. And it's just it's like serious business, but it's also kind of goofy in its execution. That's the hard part because a lot of OVAs were reformatted for a movie form. You know what I mean? Like yeah. there's three episodes, so you would watch them without the end credits or whatever. I remember watching um you know, angel cop and there would be a credit at the end of each episode, Mm -hmm. but they really could have just cut that out and just did a edited it so that it was a a seamless movie. You know what I mean? Yeah. Armitage. The third was another big one. That's right. That was, that's another one I would say was omnipresent. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It was just, and Mm -hmm. you know, all the MD Geist Giver. MD Geist. Oh Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. The stuff was, was just really easy. Megalopolis. Is that how you say it? Doom to Megalopolis. And, you know, we think of, mm-hmm. think of 
how those are practically household names if you're within our age bracket and you're into anime in comparison to how popular they are or are not in Japan. You know, it's like in Japan, nobody gives a, yeah, nobody gives a fuck about MD Geist. You know, like people, people (laughs) don't know what the fuck that is. I say that based on the idea of, of not, not because I have hard data on this, but, but based on the sense of, of my own friends in Japan that watch anime, it's like, if I ask Kiasu, like, yo, you remember watching MD Geist when you were younger? You'd be like, no, no, I don't know what that is. You know? They're not you know they're they're not that big over there, but they're you know mm. huge here because they were distributed because all the distributors were like, oh, we could get the whole thing in just one VHS tape, and that's so much easier than trying to take on I don't know um, what's a nineties TV show, uh, Sailor Moon. Yeah, it was Sailor Moon. <laughs> yeah, they did bring over well. Uh, I hate to pick on Slam Dunk, but like, oh, it's so much easier than trying to bring over Slam Dunk with its hundred plus episodes and trying to release like 20 VHS tapes about this because, you know, who knows if people actually continue to buy this as time goes on. And then if we don't release all of them, then that's kind of awkward, too. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, so it's just uh, the the format just made it easier for Western consumption. Um, Another influential OVA gunbuster gunbuster and i think of what is important about gunbuster in this context is it is a great example of where talent begins because gunbuster was made by very early studio gynax and studio gynax at that time as we know from um, otaku no video uh, studio gynax had started kind of in a tangential to anime place you know they're starting with toys they moved into anime their first their first thing was uh wings of hanamis right um and then from there they moved on to gunbuster and gunbuster blew the fuck up for them and that was a early work for studio gynax put them on the map and opened the doors towards television anime from there they could make nadia uh, the secret of blue water from there, they could make Neon Genesis Evangelion. And then everything changed for them after Evangelion. Um, but it all they all got their start from making these kind of direct-to-video OVA releases, you know, and the popularity that came with them. It was a great example of how the OVA let new talent shine uh, in ways where they you know, would not have had immediate access to making TV shows. And Gunbuster fucking kicks ass. I'm a huge fan. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, we got to see the uh, first dubbing of it last year at Otakon. Mm-hmm. Very excited about that. I think it's coming out soon ish. Yeah, I was. So you'll be able to watch all of it on uh, in dubbed English. Dubbed. I was really shocked that it's going to get a, another release at this juncture because I, I really thought that was one that would just be lost to. Um, legal warfare and copyright squabbles for the rest of time. Yeah. But I got an OG. Thank you, Discotech. Yeah, yeah, well, I, of, of course I bought the OGs like a year before all these got, <laughs> uh, got really you know, all this news hit the headlines, so, yeah. Yeah, would you pay for that uh, box set? Uh, it was like 250 bucks, 300 bucks, something like that. So it was not, uh, you know, I, it was OVA prices. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, you're paying, you know, 1980s prices yeah. over here. <laughs> so the longest mm. OVA. I mean, there's many shortest OVAs. There's plenty of one, plenty of shortest forty minute thing, <laughs> but the longest is my personal favorite. Oh. Drum roll! Drum roll! Legend of the Galactic Heroes, <laughs> with 110 episodes going from 1988 to 1997, and then 52 episode prequel going from 1998 to 2000. So the original 110 episodes was coming out from 1988 to 1997. You would have been buying that shit one episode at a time for almost a decade. Just one episode a month for like a decade to hmm. get all that. You know, that that's true dedication. But it's worth yeah. it. It's so worth it. I can't even imagine the way you feel by the time you get to that final episode. You've been watching Legend of the Galactic Heroes for ten fucking years. <laughs> just, just I, can yeah, you, epic. Yeah. I can imagine the shelf of VHSs. <laughs> yeah, but there's someone in Japan that has all of them. That's like collected them from the first day. No, mm-hmm. yeah, and they're pristine. I'm jealous. I'm jealous. It's cool. And them laser, I mean, we see them laser discs floating around at conventions here in the U.S. And they look sharp, man. I would be, I would fucking buy, like, I mean, that, that shit doesn't have English subtitles, does it? I doubt it. Because if it did, I'd be half tempted to just go buy a laser disc player specifically to get all these old Legend of Galactic Heroes laser discs. Because they look badass. And I think the original laser discs are the only version that have all the title cards for all the different characters. Hmm. <laughs> I don't know if there's a way to fan sub laser disc. Yeah, no, that's a bummer. Mm. You know what I mean? So no, they might have. People are crafty back then. <laughs> the yeah, they like they just all you need is a VCR and then maybe hook that up to the laser disc somehow. Honestly, like, <laughs> I don't even know what a laser it. disc looks like. Oh, it's um, a big ass I imagine CD. a record, but yeah, <laughs> I imagine a plate sized record well it's a cd Somehow. it's a cd uh, like oh, imagine CD. you know cd is like how big is it 12, 12 inches in- like i see you're not i'm imagining like a record like a 12 inch record yeah right? yeah 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 that's what it is mm-hmm. except it's not a vinyl record it's a cd it's a compact disc what player is big enough to play something a laser disc like player how big is it it's like the size of it a, it's, it's like the size of a turntable Oh my goodness. Yeah. One of my earliest memories of watching a video in class was from a laser disc. Oh my it was like God. a science in my science teacher's class. I don't know why we had one, <laughs> but we did. Yeah. And you know who's, who's, uh, I don't know if you guys remember this band, but uh, the guy that is biggest in laser into laser discs in my life is Richard from enemy soil and drugs of faith and whatnot. And I, I remember we watched American Psycho together on Laserdisc at his apartment. What? Yeah. What? Hmm. Well, yeah, Laserdisc is a reasonable thing to be into, you know, in my opinion. I mean, they look cool. And yeah, you're, you're right, Amelia. I mean, it, it is like, I mean, it's like a 12-inch record. It, it's like, I mean, a CD normally well, five inches. Just imagine instead of five inches, that CD is 12 inches. That's what a Laserdisc well, is. Well, and... I remember if you burnt a CD, you couldn't reburn something else on uh, it. Unless you had Whatever a CDRW. Data. Yeah, okay. 
<laughs> yep. Okay. Oh, even VHS tapes had uh, those little pegs oh. that blocked you from recording over them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But if you remove them, remember, you could just zoop right over top. You could put a, t- you could put a piece of tape, scotch tape over it and record oh, it true. off as well. True. Is that was that was a technique? That was my technique. Band aid. <laughs> so another influential OVA is one that Amelia brought up earlier. When I think of when we think of OVAs that that succeed and blossom into a big franchise, I think nothing has blossomed more beautifully than Tenchi Muyo. Mm-hmm. Tenchi Muyo started off as a six episode OVA that went from 1992 to 1993, and from that original six episode OVA. We got four more OVAs, four television animes, three movies, and a bunch of different spinoffs. Now, I have never, I've never seen any of it. Still I don't going. know anything about it. <laughs> I it's see the toys. Going. I see the toys a lot, and I'm like, "That's so cute!" And then it's, then then I'm like, "Oh, it's from Tenchi Muyo." I've seen bits of pieces of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they had the TV series on. It was one of the first shows they had on Toonami. Mm-hmm. And um, that's how I was introduced to it. But the OVAs, I guess they did. They played Tenchi Universe on Toonami, but I don't think they played the OG OVA series. Mm. I think I had to, I think someone let me borrow it or something like that. But I think the, the quality of the OVA, 10 times better. Mm. I love the OVA. It's, it's so much, it's, I don't know, like the, the quality is, to our point, like we made earlier, mm-hmm. just nine out of ten times it's going to be better animation better production you know yeah well I'll, so if you can find it go go watch it or buy it and yeah i'll let you borrow it's it probably worth a lot <laughs> uh-huh yeah well adult just come down to my ova vhs shelf that my boyfriend collects <laughs> yeah steven's emporium yeah <laughs> I keep telling him that he should open up a rental shop. He, uh, he should. He should. He has enough. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, Adult Swim seems to not discern between OVAs and TV shows because that was my fifth influential OVA. Uh, in- influential for us in the USA is Furikuri, mm-hmm. uh, which has such a huge impact on anime culture in the USA. I think of Furikuri as being as much a household name in the U.S. as Neon Genesis Evangelion or Cowboy Bebop, despite the fact that in Japan, it's just this weird little niche OVA that Studio Gainax did along the way. Mm. And despite the fact that the Anime Brothers and Carl don't like it. Yeah, we're going to do a whole separate (laughs) episode about that. (laughs) Where I, I will, I will, I mean, I hate to sound condescending, but I will explain Furikuri to everyone because it makes sense. It's a great, it's a great story. And it took me a couple times to, to understand the plot and what's happening, but it's, it's really a masterpiece. It's one of those anime that when you watch it, you don't know what happened, but you know, whatever you just watched was great. You know what I mean? Yeah. It just has like yeah. this presence, this like energy, this vibe to it. Yeah. That I can't put my finger on. But when I see it, I know that this is like peak. Yeah. 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 This is one of the cases where I've, I was able to watch the uh, a bootleg version of it before it was aired mm. oh, on Toonami. Oh. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, mm. Mm. it was like when you know the moments where you're like, I know about this shit. <laughs> <laughs> no, literally, no, literally, like whenever I think about anime. <laughs> especially like maybe five years ago because you used to bring over like the most random shit all the time just like a a, mm. a disc here a disc there maybe a couple episodes of something check out this weird thing um and so that's all i ever thought about of you <laughs> was like he knows a weird shit he knows like he's in it okay? <laughs> yeah it was a lot easier to get like the weird bootleg shit mm-hmm. i mean it because it, if you didn't get the bootleg or you didn't get the fan sub and you would you couldn't watch it. Yeah, mm-hmm. it was so like you know. But it, I mean, going back even farther than that, if they had the fan subs um, that you had the mail order or like get a copy of a copy of a copy, you know, with no subtitles. I mean, that's that's dedication too, for sure. Mm-hmm. But uh, <sighs> yeah, watch. I just remember showing it to some friends at a party. It was actually the same party that I went to. It did not socialize i was watching that along with um otaku no video and i think we had a whole discussion about this mm-hmm. dan i'm mm-hmm. sure yeah, you remember that mm-hmm. right and Amelia, mm-hmm. like just like yeah i think i put on something while we should have been being a teenager <laughs> you know? I don't know. no you were watching that good shit <laughs> well yeah this uh this lack of accessibility brings us into the waning years of the OVA, I think, which to me really starts in, in the uh, 2000s. Because by the 2000s, the Japanese economy has popped. Video rental stores are going out of business. People aren't buying and renting VHS and Laserdiscs and eventually DVDs in the same way that they used to. Uh, for a long time, OVAs were used as kind of a testing ground for new franchises. Um but starting in the 2000s, producers discovered that you could do the same thing with late night TV broadcasting. It could serve a similar kind of function uh, while also reaching a wider audience uh, by virtue of being thrown onto TV rather than making people go rent it from a, uh, from a store. Um, Mm -hmm. So these late night TV broadcasts, uh, provided access to otaku-oriented anime, yeah, without forcing anybody to buy these really expensive products. And television started to yeah push back anime more towards the late night things. It started to orient itself more towards like, oh, you know, we can show more adult things, more risque things. We can relax our guidelines a little bit if it's late enough. You know, after the kids have gone to bed, so anime became. Uh, more of a late night TV thing and eventually a streaming thing and just bypasses TV altogether. Um, so um, I think this is also because our, our sources of media have started to change. We were in VHS era, but at this point by the early two thousands, we have DVDs. Yep. We have, um, we have a different format to release things. That's cheaper that it, you can fit more stuff mm-hmm. on. So the, like expensiveness of VHS tapes and like having to buy one or two episodes at a time is kind of like waning out. Like you can get full almost complete series on one disc or Mm -hmm. at least like on two different discs, but you could buy a whole series at a time. Mm -hmm. So I think like 
um, the market had to change. And you kind of see that in the early 2000s with, uh, with like, instead of having like uh, an OVA that is released uh, on its own, you see it bundled with manga or yes. bundled with like its source material. Yes. And that, that starts to become the purpose of OVAs in the modern mm-hmm. world. Where we see, and that's probably what people listening are like thinking about of OVA. Yeah. Oh, I like this manga, but this like the last volume is bundled with the OVA. Yep. And we see you know, a great example of this is Attack on Titan. Attack on Titan got a bunch of different OVAs. All these OVAs are basically just filler. They're side stories. A lot of times they're just like goofy, yeah, goofy little side stories, little comedy uh, type episodes. Got nothing to do with the main plot. And they're generally bundled with manga or maybe a DVD release. Uh, Hajime no Ippo, for example, has not exactly a not a filler episode by any means, but has a extra episode tagged on to the DVD release that was not broadcast on TV. This is the episode where um, wait, what's the name of the guy that fights the bear, the big guy? Uh, the Pompadour. Yeah. Uh, okay. I, I always no, blank on everybody's it. names. <laughs> yeah, um, but the uh, yeah big guy with the Pompadour is just like hitting on women, and it's it's a funny episode. But it, it's an awkward watch on the DVD at this point because it's like the absolute emotional like best anime fight of all time. Uh, Sendo versus Ippo and then after this like absolute tearjerker like just ruined my fucking life I'm bawling my eyes out then it's got this like the DVD then the DVD moves into this like little one-off comedy episode <laughs> you know it's like whoa it's a real emotional you know like it's, it's a weird pivot um, but you know the <laughs> angle is that if you're buying you know that if you buy the DVD release oh there's an extra episode of the anime that's mm-hmm. not shown on you know, broadcast television. And it's the same, you know, Attack on Titan did this, Kuroko's Basketball did this, where they have these OVA episodes that are, yeah, just kind of for fans, you know, that if you want to see these characters on screen even more, it's like, oh, if you buy this manga, then you can get this extra episode of the anime, like, just keep keep spending time with all your favorite characters. And it's, yeah, it's all a, a marketing ploy. That's not necessarily like a bad thing. Kiss X Sis. Well, yeah, yeah. Talk about Kiss X Sis. <laughs> Just wanted to throw it out there. Our favorite OVA series. Yeah. Well, so if, if we're gonna if we're gonna make the case of modern AV OVAs that still go strong, Gundam: The Origin. Okay. Arguably the best piece of the Gundam franchise. Originally started as an OVA, then they recut it into a TV series and put it on the TV. Uh, but it was an OVA to begin with, with like, yeah, what, six 45-minute episodes or something like that. Um, mm-hmm. Another OVA still going hard way past the glory years is Blood the Last Vampire, which was not exactly omnipresent in the way that Appleseed was, but it was like very easily available through Blockbuster, Hollywood Video, Suncoast. Uh, came after OVAs were like a thing. You know, it was pretty late to the game. Blood the Last Vampire was fucking 8 out of 10. Awesome. Killer. It was great. Big enough that it spawned a TV show that was not that good and zapped 
all of the uh, momentum out of this franchise. I'm sure Cristela's there, like shaking her head, being like, "No, no, no." Because <laughs> I know she likes the TV show. Um, what about Helsing, Cristela? Helsing, <laughs> popular OVA series. I wish, I wish they would uh, continue that mm. into something else. Yeah. So there, there are modern examples of OVAs that still show the the kind of artistic power and merit that we think OVAs are should have. But yeah, at this point, most OVAs are yeah like um, the Attack on Titan OVA, where it's like. Sasha going hunting and it's funny or something. It's like, yes. Or like, yeah, it's like not integral to the story. Yeah. yeah not so important. like if you're a super fan of like the franchise, maybe you would like them, but it's also like not super important to pay attention to. Yeah. And a lot of these OVAs aren't so easily available in the U S um, mm-hmm. and I understand, I didn't, I didn't do a lot of research on this, I, but I do understand that these OVAs, you know, the, when somebody's licensing the show for the U.S., you don't always know if something's going to be a hit. Like, they're only making these OV promotional OVAs if something's already a hit. So the contracts that get negotiated for distribution uh, or, like, streaming rights or whatever are pertaining to this specific television show. The OVAs are outside scope, so they, they don't fall under that umbrella in most cases. Um, and they're not not even necessarily like under the umbrella of the same company. Like you would have to negotiate a totally different contract with a totally different company to have the rights to stream or, or to import over these OVAs. But why would you do that for like a couple filler episodes? So mm-hmm. yeah, a lot of these OVAs just kind of languish in obscurity um, outside uh, the, the, the view out off the radar of American audiences. That being said, I watched all the Attack on Titan OVAs and all the Kuroko's <laughs> basketball OVAs. <laughs> yeah. So So what's the modern equivalent at, then? ONAs. Oh, so Are they the new OVAs? Are they? So ONA is the original original net animation. These are for shows that go directly to the internet. They don't even get physical products. It's not they go not that they go directly to video. They just go directly onto somebody's web server and start streaming it. Uh, and mm-hmm. arguably, this is the way of the future. And when we think of ONAs, I'm not even convinced people like really different like. As I was saying earlier, I think a lot of people would argue that, you know, we place too much emphasis on differentiating TV to movie to OVA, that the lines are so mm-hmm. blurry. I think the lines are especially blurry when it comes to ONAs, because when we discuss something like The Great Pretender, when we discuss something um, like Cyberpunk Runners. Both episodes we've done, you can go check them out. Exactly. That's what I'm saying. When we discuss uh, Beastars, we're not sitting there being like, look at this ONA. You know, like, mm-hmm. how does how does I this... I really love this ONA. Yeah, how does this ONA <laughs> compare to what is happening on television at this time? You know, mm-hmm. like, we, we see... There we see that OVA is... Yeah, OVAs in the modern time are basically just relegated to popular franchises and shows that are already really big. 
But ONAs are not relegated to anything. They're totally, you know, unique, interesting, exciting anime. Uh, and it's not even that they're so like, like when we think of the OVA as detaching itself from sponsors, detaching itself from the strict business schedule, uh, they are free of these like capitalist ties that, that bind them and they're free to be as they want to be. And in theory, ONAs ought to be like that too, but that's not even true either because these ONAs, most of like a lot of them get sucked into stuff like Netflix or Amazon. They get, they get tied like Jojo's part six is a great example for technically being an ONA. Um, Mm -hmm. if I understand this correctly and, uh, that got totally hamstrung by Netflix. Like it's, it's whole execution is, you know, blottered by Netflix fucking it up. Well, and Jojo started as an OVA. Well, the, yeah, this is true too. You know, Stardust, okay. Stardust Crusaders got it, got the OVA first. Yeah. Um, and what I think is kind of weird about ONAs, it's not like there's any kind of like specific thing that they're coming from. It's not like it's specifically like original stories or specifically manga, like extra weird manga um, chapters. It's like it can be from a light novel. It can be from manga. It can have source material. It can also not have source material. There's like no rhyme or reason to like why it is an ONA. Yeah. Yeah. And I, yeah, I don't know if that's just because the barriers to entry are so low that people will just do anything and throw it out on the internet and see what hits, see what misses. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know if you guys have heard, but there's a new Star Wars Visions coming out. Yeah. New volume. It's called Volume. I saw them, saw people talking about that on the Discord. Hmm. But I. It looks like it's going to be less Japanese studios and more. You, you know, like European and, um, yeah, not just specifically Japanese mm. studios. Hmm. I, I do want to make the point, though, that when we think of the ONA, it's easy to just automatically ascribe that to major streaming platforms, that the ONA is, net, is Netflix exclusives, Amazon exclusives. But there is anime that just gets tossed onto the internet without having any of the any backing of these major stream streaming services. Eve no Jikan. Eve no Jikan. Eve no Jikan. Eve no Jikan. Which is made by the absolute fucking genius, you know, the genius that made the exceptional best anime of 2022 sing a bit oh, of harmony. Oh, my God. Um, but this was his first thing, and that was an ONA. That just went straight onto the internet. Motherfucker just put it on a fucking website and you know, said, hey, look at this thing on my website. You know? And it's actually really cool. It's great. Yeah, it's it really, really, yeah, it's, it's great. Interesting. Yeah, it's great. And Robbie, too. Ruby. Ruby. Ruby yeah. is an ONA. That's another, like, let's just throw this shit on a website and pray that people watch it for some reason. And I don't know anything. So I don't know anything weird. about Ruby. I just know it okay. exists. So, so Ruby's weird because I believe it is either a manga or a light novel series um, that did not do well in Japan, but uh, was on American TV 
and did very well for itself on American TV. Um, it's, I believe, completely 3D animated. Um, and it might have been on Adult Swim, but don't quote me on that because mm. I have not seen Ruby. Um, but recently, Ruby got an anime makeover. Mm. And that is what this ONA is. Mm. Okay. Okay. But I don't know what who I don't know where to watch it. Like I don't know who pick up who picked up the license for it or like what website you even like go to watch it. Yeah. So. Yeah. So I I think I would argue that ONAs are not an equivalent to OVAs because the ONAs are too like hamstrung by large streaming services. I think the market landscape is too different in a streaming world to be mm -hmm. comparable to what, you know, eighties and nineties Japan was like, um, with, with physical products and video rental stores and such, and, and the landscape that OVAs were operating within. Yeah, so if we think about, like, how we got Japanese television in the 90s, it usually took about a year to get to us. Yeah, true. Because they true. had to subtitle it, they had to, you know, format it, whatever. Um, whereas now, we get anime pretty much an hour after anime is released in Japan. Mm -hmm. So there's not really a, a way to differentiate between something that is an ONA and something that is airing on tv because it's airing on tv in japan but we aren't consuming it on tv now now we're consuming it through streaming services in which onas are airing like simultaneously with tv so it's not like we can differentiate and be like oh well right. this right. i can watch all of right now it's still coming out like we still only get one episode a week or whatever, but it's airing at the same time. Whereas like OVAs before would be like the vessel in which a series got popular or in which a popular series got more content. So that's like not really what ONAs are. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. The lines just continue to get blurrier and blurrier. But when the lines get that blurry, that also begs the question of like, how much does it even matter? You know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. It doesn't, as long as it's good. And would you like to know what the best ONA series is, according to Mao? Because <laughs> it's Link Click. <laughs> I have never heard of that. Wow. It aired uh, last year, last season. It, it, it aired very, very recently, and it's about um, a uh, like detective agency that solves murders through taking pictures. Mm -hmm. through a picture of a scene and then they jump into the picture oh interesting and mm -hmm. this is supposed to be better than cyberpunk edge runners according to the <laughs> lovely users of my anime list uh-huh but i would like to argue that cyberpunk edge runners is better yeah yeah way better i just don't you know <laughs> like if if you believe that link what is it? Link 80? Link, link click. Link. If you believe that link click is the best ONA, get on the Discord and state your case. I, yes. uh, I will watch this show if you can sell, sell me on it. Otherwise, I just don't yeah. believe it. 
because we have an entire two hour episode dedicated to why cyberpunk edge runners <laughs> is <Yeah>. the best. <laughs> runner. Yeah, we were we were close to podcast consensus about about this. Mm-hmm. So close. <laughs> <laughs> no, they just had to drop sing a bit of harmony in the middle of the summer. Oh my god! In the middle of Japanese summer last year. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so that is more or less the history of OVAs. I hope everyone feels very informed. I hope so, too. It's really hard to find info on such a niche thing that we theoretically did not experience ourselves. Like we weren't anime fans in the 80s and 90s trying to get fan subbed copies of anime VHS tapes, you know, yeah, so it's really true. hard to like sift through information about stuff like this. Um, but at the same time, I found. Oh, God, sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, go ahead. No, you go, no, ahead. go ahead. You go, no, ahead. go ahead. No, you. No, you. No, you. I was just going to say, there's um, uh, a website. Oh, my God. So sorry. Um, there's a website uh, called the Old School Otaku Lounge, which is kind of like mm. a forum website, which if you were an anime fan back then, that's what you used was for forum sites. Um, that kind of like chronicles uh, like older otaku's accounts of stuff and like what they think. Oh, about. that's cool. Um like new anime versus like when they were growing up and you know so it's kind of a cool website it's where i found um the info on that japanese conversation about ova oh that sounds really cool i'd like to check that out yeah um so uh, and i was talking to steven about this and a lot of the uh culture around uh ova were actually kind of in the vhs tapes themselves because at the beginning of every tape they had trailers for every other vhs that was coming out or any kind of series that was coming out you would get a preview and a trailer to buy and also like you know like a an order form call this number go to this website this is what you this is where you can get this thing so a lot of the culture is kind of like within watching the vhs tapes so i know that we have the internet at our fingertips these days and you can watch pretty much every single one of the ovas we've talked about on the deep dark web but if you have a chance to actually watch them on vhs i highly implore you to do so because it is such a cool thing to watch and to like look back on the like the like culture at the time it's like really yeah well so part of part of how i remember this is gi joe vhs tapes when i was a little little kid and they one of them i swear had a manga entertainment advertisement in between the episodes and i'll I'll never forget the like exploding bodies and the akira snapshot and the big deep voice (laughs) is like this ain't your parents animation this ain't your parents cartoon (laughs) at the time i was not like super impressed or really yeah at the time i was not like well that's so cool i really want to know more about that i was just like uh show me more gi joe but um (laughs) i'm more appreciative of it now you know now i feel like oh that was really cool i I, uh, should have appreciated it more when i was younger Mm -hmm. um there's also a website um that is called anime nostalgia bomb that um, this person uploads 
scans of all of his old anime magazines. And mm. um, if you were an anime fan of the time, that's probably where you would also get a lot of the uh, info about anime mm -hmm. and what to watch and things going on. And there's a ton of a ton, a ton of ads for VHS OVAs in these, and they are so, so cool. I'm going to post some in the Discord if you guys want to check them out. Yeah. But, um, yeah, so cool. So I'm looking at one, uh, like, VHS collection right now, which is, like, the Urotsuki Doji. The Legend of um, the Overfiend. Now yeah. we're talking. <laughs> I got that VHS box set. <laughs> It was ninety nine ninety five suggested retail price. Yeah, and I bought that shit for number to order. I bought that shit for five dollars at Salvation Army. <laughs> yeah, but it's like stuff <laughs> like that. You get to see the whole ad and everything. So I'll post a bunch of them and the website in our Discord. Yeah, dude, I love the Legend of the Overfiend. I was thinking, yeah, yeah I mean, oh. if we had an eighteen plus panel, it could show the uh, yeah the demon cock eating them oh girls. heck yeah i mean it's hot um, man it's hot me and hannah watched it together what's the <laughs> what's the tentacle one the tentacle ova <laughs> that's the legend of the overfiend is that yeah. one it what about the blue girl was the that a girl yeah was that a um an ova yeah i think so yeah fucking hentai on these ovas okay <laughs> <laughs> anime weekend atlanta if you listen to this i swear we're not gonna we won't put the clips we won't talk yeah, about that we won't put swear the clips to God. in our panel no <laughs> um yeah it was, so I'm, I'm thinking about old anime fans discussing how they feel about current anime and this is this is not an old anime fan but it makes me think I've, I've told this anecdote on this podcast before, but it makes me think about when I was, when I watch anime with my dad, when I go back to Baltimore and we watched Vinland saga as a family. And my dad was kind of like not really getting it or getting as much out of it as, as I do. But then when I put on galaxy express nine, 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 he was like, Oh, this is great. You know? <laughs> wow. I, this really resonates with me. You know? I was like, wow, there's a, that is some true generational gap. That's really interesting. <laughs> really interesting. Um, so I'd love to end the episode on some OVA recommendations. Yeah. For that real over Not that everything that we've talked about shouldn't have be watched, but specifically each one of yeah. us. Go watch Dallas. <laughs> it's so dry. Yeah. Like Oh, that makes it sound good. The easiest one I could think of is Cyber um I'm gonna say Cyberpunk. Get that OANA <laughs> shit out of here. <laughs> <laughs> we were it'd be remiss to not mention bubblegum crisis yeah. for a crash and, and just uh, i think it was in the notes but does that qualify as a success or a failure because it had the sponsorship sponsors pull out and that's why it stopped mm. is that what happened I'm not sure. I know. I thought. I thought the original was pretty successful. Yeah, Jeff that goes, was like. I don't know. It's just good. Yeah, sure, sure. Well, it's a classic. <laughs> it's a classic for sure. I had, so I, yeah. I'm posing now a little bit. I haven't actually seen it, um, but it's it's a classic mm. for sure. Mm -hmm. yeah, I think maybe Crash is the one that was less successful. Could be. Yeah. I don't know. I just yeah. Just like when I think of what pinnacle ova series were out in the in the 80s i think of of that one um hmm 
Anyone else? Oh, I have a bunch. <laughs> and I've been championing championing this episode for such a long time. Crying Freeman. It's true. Everyone needs to watch Crying Freeman. Yeah. It is so cool. It's about a um, potter, a, a potter, like ceramics potter, um, who gets brainwashed by the Yakuza and then goes on a killing spree. Mm. Part of uh, the ultra-violent <laughs> um, version of OVAs. Uh, I love it. I think it's so cool that this poor, humble potter, who is such a sweet man, um, gets turned into an assassin <laughs> for the Yakuza. <laughs> um, we've also already done an episode on Video Girl Eye. Uh, love that one. Um, and then... Um, I think I'm going to... I'm going to say the, my dear Mary, <laughs> just because it's so obscure, um, but it's about this guy who brings a robot to life. <laughs> mm. And then they did. Yeah, that one's, ex- that one's really good, but it's too sh- it's so short. Yeah. Like they've, I would love to see a, a, a modern take on that one. Oh, yeah. It has so such good vibes, though. When I think of like mm-hmm. uh, anime aesthetic, like that pops into my mind because like, all, there's all like the computer screens and like the blue light and like cute girls, like very styled from the time. I don't know when it came mm-hmm. out. I'm going to assume the nineties, but um, love that one. So I'm, I'm thinking of uh, what OVAs we haven't touched on so far that I would recommend. And I think what I would suggest is Blackjack, the original 12-episode OVA series, mm-hmm. which uh, is a little bit of a um, yeah minor, minor anime classic, in my opinion. Uh, it's a bit old school. Um, but yeah, I think that, that OVA series is definitely the high point of the Blackjack franchise to me. You know, every it's blackjack at its most adult and its most focused and its most heavy, its most interesting and exciting in comparison to all the other renditions of it that make it a little more like childlike, you know, child not childish, but a little bit more like fun, good times. You know, the OVA a little bit heavier, more interesting. Hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and what kite. I never saw Kite. I'll tell you one we did all see. Uh, I would. Re- <laughs> Golden Boy. I would recommend that. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Go off anyway. Who? We did an episode on Golden Boy. Oh, Golden Boy. For sure, Z's. Uh, mm-hmm. But we've already talked about it. Just kidding. And my. my one of that. Oh, go ahead. Well, my, my only other recommendation, what I'll end on is. Only other. Roroni, Roroni Kenshin, Trust and Betrayal that Roroni Kenshin prequel OVA, which is arguably the best part of the Roroni Kenshin franchise when it, when it comes to the anime stuff. Uh, and it's also Roroni Kenshin and it's most emotionally impactful and most serious and, and adult-like and such. It was really great. Yeah, my the only one that I could that I can remember that I forgot to talk about was um Giant Robo. Sure. 
I've mentioned it before and that that is so good. It's like um I was reading that someone compared it to like the last uh, the last good or like high quality OVA before OVA sort of fizzled yeah, out. I read that same column um, online. Yep. Did you? Okay. Yeah, I feel like well, and that puts things in perspective cuz I think it came out in the what, the late 90s? Yeah, like late 90s early 2000s, yeah. Mm-hmm. I would love to do an episode on that show, but it's basically like a callback to the giant robo robo. Oh my God. I'm just saying the title. Um, <laughs> super robot <laughs> genre of the seventies and like Tosaksu, uh, you know, power ranger style fighting, uh, great soundtrack. It's like a very orchestral, uh, classical music, soundtrack i have that like see on i think cd or it was on my it's on my computer or something like that but just uh oh yeah i would like to talk about it just anime hour coming soon. <laughs> hell yeah hell yeah <laughs> well some of the, some of this all begs you know as we think about this some of this all begs the question to me if if anime is going to take a similar turn as television has in the u.s where Television used to be this like um, a format that people did not give much credence to, right? It was not given much in the way of artistic merit or, or like critical acclaim. And then we got into prestige television. And now, you know, now television is like a totally reasonable thing for people to be into, to dissect, to have like kind of a high art take on it. And anime has kind of pivoted in this way. You know, we, when we think of modern anime, and, and yeah, there's plenty of modern anime. It's not that great. But, just, you know, every year there's a couple absolute smash fucking hits, you know, that are categorically better, in my opinion, uh, just objectively better than most of the shows happening in 70s and in, into the 80s. And I, I wonder if we will continue to see anime, you know, grow in this kind of way in the in a world of ONAs, you know, where like will we see anime take on a prestige era where like oh what anime, you know, what television fans want is something like the Sopranos, where it's got, you know, like real character writing and and real plot development, not just 30 minutes self-contained stories. No, where will we see a tilt in anime where it's like, oh, what the people want is Legend of the Galactic Heroes. Um, and maybe we're already seeing that a little bit, you know, with, with the success of things like Attack on Titan. Um, so maybe we're already at that stage, but I wonder if it'll you know, go even higher. I cannot hear Amelia. Sorry, I didn't want to sing it, but whenever. Oh. <laughs> Can you take me higher? Sure, sure. And on that note, <laughs> we're on Talk to the Host Club. <laughs> um, so if you want to talk to us about OVAs or like ask us questions or anything like that, um, we have an email, theohcpodcast at gmail.com. Um, talk to us about OVAs. Were you there when the OVAs first hit? Were you at yeah. the video store? 
renting Ninja Scroll, we want to know. So, you know, hit us up. Um, <laughs> yeah, tell us how wrong we are. Yeah. Um, but if you want to listen to past, present, or future episodes, head on over to our website at otakuhostclub.com. There you'll find links to all of our social platforms, Instagram, Twitter, and our Discord server, where you can chat with us in between episodes. Thank you to everyone who subscribes or follows us, reaches out. We love hearing from you and building a great community. And huge thanks to our community member, Knucklehead, for being a platinum mad club room subscriber on our patreon we put out tons of stuff over on patreon like uh pre-show content and seasonal episodes um so if you want to support the show head on over to patreon.com slash otaku host club links to everything is on our website as well as in any of the descriptions of wherever you're listening to this on Mm -hmm. yeah if you are a small business that consistently mails packages weighing over 11 pounds to other countries you will save so much money by becoming our Patreon, our patron <laughs> subscriber, listening to our pre-show discussion where I go into detail about how you can get 90% plus discounts out of FedEx. <laughs> This is so. This is this is facts, guys. Straight facts. I had to. I had. To, I had to prove myself to ebullition for them to to you know deem me worthy of getting the secret FedEx phone number. <laughs> and here I am, just talking about it all willy nilly to the public. All right, go watch some OVAs, guys. See you in the next OVA. Yeah. Yeah, see you next year. <laughs> <laughs>